Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we are talking about comics. And that is because today is New Comic Book Day Wednesday, and uh, today is a special day. Um, You know, you can try and make all of your days special, and I would recommend doing so, but sometimes there are things outside of your control that can make your day extra great. And typically those occur on Wednesdays. I would argue sometimes they occur on Mondays on Marvel Unlimited and also on the weekends when new movies come out. But on Wednesdays, it's particularly special because those are the days that new comics come out for the very first time. And sometimes those comics are amazing. Most of the time they're great, but sometimes you could be sitting down reading and your shoes will just fly off on their own. And in this case... Uh, My shoes flew off, my socks flew off, uh, all my clothes flew off, and uh, my hair fell out. I looked like Professor Xavier um, on some hedonist trip by the end of this reading. And I'm going to tell you why. So today is um, August 7th, and I want to jump into just what the new comics are this week. Like I said prior, I'm not going to be reviewing all of them. Uh, I only get certain ones, but uh, I want to give a shout out to all of them so that if any of you guys are interested in going to your shop or just going on the Marvel app and purchasing them uh, to do so and to support these titles. So Major X Zero is out today, which is by Rob Liefeld. And uh, Agents of Atlas is also out, the first issue, which uh, is one of the ones I will be reviewing, along with Absolute Carnage number one, which I am so excited to talk about. Uh, Sensational Spider-Man Self-Improvement number one by Peter David is uh, out as well. Future Foundation number one by Jeremy Whitley is out. Uh, That's a number one issue. Uh, I'm actually curious to see what happens in that series. Uh, I'm not going to be getting it as it comes out, but I loved Jonathan Hickman's Future Foundation. I just love the whole kid team dynamic. Invisible Woman number two by Mark Wade. House of X number two. I'd like to say that that's the main event, but we're going to get into it later about my struggle in picking whether I like House of X 2 or Absolute Carnage number one more. Um, Arrow, A-E-R-O, Arrow number two by Greg Pak is uh, coming out today as well. I, I get that one monthly, so I won't be reviewing it today, but I would recommend that series for sure. Black Cat number three by Jed McKay and Travel Foreman. Savage Avengers number four by Jerry Duggan and Mike Diodato. Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History number six by Paul Shear and uh, Giovanetti is the last name, I believe, of the artist. Uh, Champions number eight by Jim Zub. Old Man Quill number eight by Ethan Sachs. And um, I think it's Joe Robertson. Um, and then Daredevil number nine by Chip Zdarsky. Dead Man Logan number 10 by Ed Brisson. Uh, as I had stated in the Marvel Unlimited review, uh, that Dead Man Logan is a great series. I would I would highly recommend that one. I would also recommend uh, Daredevil as well. That series is good. And his champions. It's a hot week. Uh, Punisher 14 by Matthew Rosenberg. Immortal Hulk number 22 by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Pick that issue up. I'm not, but I know it's going to be good. And then Star Wars issue 70, also by Greg Pak. So... That's everything that's coming out today, but what what do I have in my hands? I'm holding three sacred tomes right now, and the first one that I'm going to start with is Agents of Atlas. Uh, so like I said, I had read the four-issue miniseries of Agents of Atlas um, back when it premiered during War of Realms. I love new characters, and I especially love diversity in my comics, and so to have that series have a highlight a bunch of Asian characters 
uh, from kind of all over the world uh, was really great to see. And um, that's what made me want to get this issue. And it didn't disappoint. It's a great issue. The art was awesome. Uh, let's. I'm going to find the title page, and I will be able to go over with you who made this book. So it's not anywhere near anything in here, I guess. But uh, it's Greg Pak. There we go. It's uh, written by Greg Pak, drawn by Nico Leon, colored by Frederico Blee, and lettered by, you guessed it, VCs, Joe Sabino. Uh, and that's actually a part one. So it's called The Portal City of Pan, part one. There's actually a second story in here. This is a $4.99 comic. So there's a little bit of bonus stuff in here. Called The second story is called Behind the Veil. That's written by Jeff Parker, penciled by Carlo Pagulian, inked by Jason Paz, and colored by uh, Dono Sanchez Almara. Cover artist on here is uh, Jungyun Yoon, and there's a bunch of variant covers. I did pick up the Lineal Yu variant cover just because it's him. So yeah, like I said, this this is a really interesting series. There's a bunch of really interesting characters in here, and on this title page that they have, they kind of go over each of those characters. So there's Jimmy Woo. He is the leader of the Agents of Atlas Um kind of the head leader, sort of like a Nick Fury of, of Agents of Atlas. He's, they have it listed here. He's based in San Francisco. And then the um, Braun, who is Amadeus Cho as Hulk. Uh, and he's he's a shorter, smaller Hulk, but he's still strong and super smart because Amadeus Cho is one of the smartest. I think he's like the seventh smartest person on the planet is what he always says. Uh, so him, he is the leader of the group uh, working under Jimmy Woo, but he's the one in charge of the team. Uh, again, think of it as like a Captain America and a Nick Fury for both of their characters. But then along with him in New York is Silk, uh, who is Cindy Moon, and she is uh, a Spider-Man type character. She was actually bit by the same spider that Peter Parker was bit by, and that came out in the original Sin storyline back when Original Sin came out um, some years ago. Um, she essentially got the same exact powers as Peter, but looks different, does things differently. I know she shoots her webs differently. And um, one of my favorite things when they would interact was because it was the same spider, I think is how they said it, Cindy Moon and Peter Parker have this insane attraction to each other to the point where they will try to not be around each other because they can't keep themselves off of each other just because it's like something having to do with the spider's DNA or something super interesting, but she's a great character. And so I'm really happy that she's in this series. And then, of course, everyone's favorite right now, Shang-Chi, is in it as well. And he is in New York, too. And then you've got Luna Snow, who's um, one of my new favorites on here. She is a K-pop star. Her name is uh, Seol Hee. And her powers, I believe, are ice manipulation. And um, I don't know too much about her yet. I've only read about her a couple times. Again, these char- a lot of these characters debuted on the Marvel Future Fight game. And uh, I don't play that game, so I just, uh, I don't play that game. But um, I just love these characters, so I was like, I gotta read these comics. So she's in Seoul, or uh, what is it, Seoul? She's in Seoul. And then Crescent, who is Dan B. That's Crescent in Io. She is a young girl who has the power of, uh, what is it? She's, she basically has, can like project this giant bear that fights with her. Uh, really cool to see. She's in Seoul as well. Swordmaster, who is Lin Lee. He's got a, a comic series out right now uh, that I think is just on the first issue. The second issue is coming out this month, and uh, he's working with Shang-Chi in that those issues. I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Uh, but he's based in Shanghai. He's got this giant sword, and uh, 
a lot of power with that sword. And then Arrow, who I had said her issue comes out this week, but her name is Lei, uh, Li Ling, also in Shanghai. She's got power. She's got like wind manipulation powers, uh, and her her series is really good. And then Wave, who is a Pearl Pangan. And she is from Mactan Island, which looks to be south of China, sort of in the, I think that's like the Philippine type area. Uh, but yeah, so like I said, very diverse cast. The issue is really interesting, and it deals a little bit with um, kind of the War of Realms fallout from that first series that they were in, obviously to bring in those readers, I assume. But there's a new character who I, I've never seen him before, so I think he's making his first appearance in here. I won't spoil who it is, but um, there's just this really cool dynamic in it where uh, uh, Amadeus Cho seems to be having a crush on Luna Snow and doesn't really know what to do about it. This character shows up and immediately starts hitting on Luna Snow, and uh, he gets super jealous. It's, it's a good um, team dynamic, teen-type book, though he does say that he's 20 years old in this. Um, Braun does. But what happens in this series, it's very interesting. There's a there's a, a corporation that um, opens up these gateways in all of these different Asian countries with an idea that you can travel to all of these different places free of charge, though there are obviously some strings attached that you'll find out when you read it. But it's setting up a very interesting story because I, I have no idea where this is going from here. Uh, they made it a really big point that uh, Silk's spider sense was not going off uh, when these portals were opening. So it's like, maybe is this going to be some sort of corporate type anti-business thing? It could be very interesting to read. And then the uh, the second story was actually a little more confusing to me. It, it deals with the older characters from Agents of Atlas, which includes 3D Man, Venus, the Uranian, Gorilla Man, M1, M, M11, the human robot, and Namora, who is the uh, a relative of Namor. But um, it's, it's an interesting backstory. I, when I finished reading it at the end, I was like, okay, I can kind of see where this is going now. But as I was reading it, it just didn't have that same level of excitement as the first story in there. So I'm not going to fault it for that. But I hope, I hope, obviously, that it picks up the pace. I would totally recommend picking up this story. Consequently, I would also recommend reading it once it comes to Marvel Unlimited. But just the cover alone is gorgeous. It's got all of the characters in it. And we're even missing a few white foxes in it as well on the cover. Uh, and she, I don't even think, was in this issue. But uh, it's a beautiful cover, beautiful comic. Again, I would I would definitely recommend it. And now, that I, I we could call that the appetizer. And so at this point, it's time to serve you the meal. And the meal of this podcast is going to be two of what I am not afraid to say are my favorite comics of the year so far. I have been looking forward to both of these comics since they were announced last year, um, particularly Absolute Carnage, because the minute I read the first Venom uh, story by Donny Cates, I knew something big was coming. And I, again, I was praying that it would be Carnage because Carnage is one of my favorite villains, and I really love Venom as well. But Carnage, just the, the way that he is just, he's so scary and strong. And uh, I've been waiting for a story like this, and holy crap, it's here. So let's start by just explaining something to you. Yes, there is a very hefty price tag on this comic. It is $7.99. Well, whoa, $7.99? I could buy seven $1 comics for that. Hell, maybe even eight $1 comics if I'm lucky. 
Well, let me tell you something. This comic is worth 15 $1 comics. Uh, I, I would have paid $15 for this comic. The, uh, the art is insane. The story is insane. The background is insane. Everything about this book is absolutely carnage. It's nuts. So this book is written by Donnie Cates. It's penciled by Ryan Stegman, who also did the uh, the Venom series with him, so they're back. And then J.P. Mayer and Frank Martin are the inker and color artist, respectively, who also did Venom as well. So this book, if you loved the Venom series, you're going to love this because it's essentially the same, entirely same creative team. And I forgot one person, though, the letterer. Who do you think that is? It's V.C.'s Clayton Cowles! And there are just a myriad of uh, variant cover artists in here. And again, if you're if you've got somehow came into an, a small inheritance or found some money on the ground or maybe uh, you know some weird tax situation where you got a ton of money, uh, there I would recommend getting a bunch of these. There's a Codex variant by Addy Granov that is phenomenal. There is a Cult of Carnage variant by Gabriel De, Del Otto that's just mind-blowing. I will advise both of those are going for about $20 a piece. And then there is uh, one that I purchased, which is the Stanley Art Germ variant. Uh, that's a regular priced one, um, and that one is just absolutely gorgeous. And then there's also the Young Guns variant by Aaron Cooter. Uh, personally not that big of a fan of Aaron Cooter, but it's a cool looking cover. And then obviously the main cover itself is just, is gorgeous. Ryan Stegman is at the top of his game. Uh, despite what other people think, despite what the entire world says about Ryan Stegman, um, you heard it here first. I think he's great. And, um, so yeah, so this story, it's really interesting. It's a perfect jumping on point. If it's something that you, um, you know, you haven't really read a lot about Venom before or, or, um, you know, even the, if this is like the first Venom comic that you're reading, you're gonna, you're gonna get an update in what, what's going on. So, uh, the entire first few pages is just sort of backstory and it's essentially Eddie Brock explaining what's going on to his son, Dylan. And as Dylan does not know that he is his son, he thinks it's his brother. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this issue, but essentially what's going on is Null, that's K-N-U-L-L, Null is the god of the symbiotes. This is all stuff that Donny Cates wrote about in his prior stories. But Null is the god of the symbiotes, and currently Null is trapped inside what people thought was the planet of the symbiotes. But what it actually is, is is a giant cage for Null. So all of these symbiotes are essentially holding him down because they don't want him to get out because Null has been around since the beginning of time. Null uh, hates the light. He's all about darkness. And so uh, once the light came eventually, you know, because of the Big Bang, he's made it his mission to try and kill every single piece of light to get things back to where they were, which was absolutely nothing. And so he can't do that while he's trapped there. There's a whole backstory with, you know, in the first few Venom issues. Again, you know, I can't recommend them enough uh, to read up on. But um, what happened is there's this cult that worships Null, and they go into that in the a lot of the one shots. Like I was saying in the in the prior um, podcast, there's a lot of one shots that have been with this series, a uh, web of venom one shots that have all kind of been leading up to this carnage thing. So there's this cult that worships Null, and what they did was they resurrected Cletus Cassidy. They resurrected Carnage, and um, what he's doing now is Carnage thinks that if he 
gets all of the codexes, which are the little strands of symbiote that are in people's DNA. So every single character in the Marvel Universe who has uh, ever worn a symbiote suit, uh, you know, Spider-Man, Venom, gosh, I don't even know all of them, but there are a lot. Every single one of them has a codex in them, and if Carnage gets all of those, he will be strong enough to wake up Null. And at that point, essentially whoever, re- and it says it in here, it says uh, whoever holds them all can reconnect to the hive and maybe they can talk to God and they can wake him back up. And so Carnage wants to bring Null back. That's essentially what's going on. And that's that's really all you need to know. I seriously don't even want to spoil anything other than that besides the fact that they are not being shy about this affecting everybody. There are callbacks to characters I had no idea that were wearing a symbiote at some point, and um, even some cool callbacks to people who were that I didn't think would get hit on so quickly. So um, the one person I will tell you who, again, you can't have a story like this without him is Spider-Man's in this, and Donny Cates really knows how to write Spider-Man. He kills it with Spider-Man, with Venom, with everything. There are so many splash pages in here of Venom doing cool stuff, of Carnage doing insane things. It's just, and again, it's a $7.99 comic, but that's because it's 72 pages long. It has chapters, much like a Hickman comic. I'm going to spoil that for you. The first, chapter one, The Bleeding King. Chapter two, The Godson. Uh, Chapter three, I believe, is in here as well. Oh, there's another great... uh, Chapter 3 is The Long Red Dark, but uh, there's another character in here that Donny Cates has had in his series before. It's the Maker, who is the Ultimate Universe's Reed Richards, who is technically a villain, but he's in this as well, and he was in his other stuff. It's just this, I can't speak, I've never seen something like this before where I'm just, I'm going through the pages right now, and it's like they even put less ads in here. It's just page after page of red and black of carnage here, carnage there, carnage everywhere. And then even at the end, there's bonus stuff. You get a little bit of a writing, a letters column, but then also there's an initial behavioral assessment for carnage uh, from the Ravencroft Institute for the Criminally Criminally Insane along with a transcript of psychiatric evaluation from Cletus Cassidy by uh, Clay Chapman, who uh, I don't know if that's, you know, maybe one of you guys knows who that is. It could just be, you know, just a regular person. But like I said, this book is is insane. So if you're looking for something that's going to just wow you and make you fall to the floor and thank the Lord above and thank uh, Null in the void for uh, this amazing comic this is the one you want this is the one you want to pick up and uh, like i said it's 7.99 but it's worth absolutely every penny and i already hear that it's going to a third printing so if you're a collector and you're wanting to get in on this i would highly recommend jumping sooner rather than later speaking of collecting and speaking of jumping on sooner rather than later we're getting to the main event wait what the main event? Alex, hold on a minute. You just said that Absolute Carnage is the event of the summer, that it's a 72-page humdinger. What are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a book that very few people can touch. A book that is so insane, so out there, so sci-fi, that 
people are not, I don't think people are going to be able to comprehend this. I don't even know if I can comprehend this. The book I'm speaking of is Jonathan Hickman's House of X number two. Now, I spoke in the past about the prior two issues of these books, and I just want to preface with something very quickly. These books, at the very end of them, have a chart of which issues you need to read, in what order, and for the most part, it's just House of X1, Powers of X1, 2, 2, 3, 3, 4, 4, 5, 5, 6, 6. So it's, it's essentially, but there, there's some flip-flops. Regardless, there are three books in there that are highlighted red, and the implication is that those red books are going to be huge, that there's going to be some sort of something that happens in them to make them be covered in red like this, that obviously there's something important that happens. They weren't lying. They absolutely weren't lying. This book, I, look, I'm the kind of guy that, uh, my, my type of comedy, and, I, and I've explained this before, my type of comedy is where I go, okay, you know, I, I don't really want to talk spoilers on this issue, but uh, here's what happens. First goes this, and then, the, and then I spoil the whole thing. And I do that for comedy purposes also because I want to talk about it. I'm not doing that for this issue. I'm absolutely not doing that for this issue. I, um, maybe I will. I tell you what, as I'm explaining the people who created this book, I'm going to be thinking about this good and hard because I really want to talk about this book. And I think this could be something where since it's we're nearing the end of the podcast, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you who created this book, and then I'm going to give you some time to, I don't know what you need to do, meditate, get your funds in order, get your life in order, um, you know, settle all debts, whatever it is that you need to do to get this book, read this book, and then figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, I'll give you that time. It's easy. You can just pause it. We're right here at the 22-minute mark. Um, just pause it. Just pause this. It's just a podcast. It's just, You don't have to listen. Just pause it. Go buy the book and then come back, and then we can talk about it. You can hear me talk about it, and you can tell me what you, what you think as well because, like I said, you're just I, nobody's ready. So this book was written by Jonathan Hickman with artist Pepe Larraz, color artist Marte Gracia, and who else on lettering but VCs Clayton Cowles? Hell yeah, he's back. Man, I've been waiting for this for so long. Um, so this issue is titled The Uncanny Life of Moira X. If, if you remember in House or in uh, Powers of X, I believe, it was, yeah, in Powers of X, he meets, um, he meets Moira, Professor Xavier meets Moira. And he says, oh, you know, I just had this dream. And she's like, Charles, it's not a dream if it's real. And she says, take a look. And like he, he reads her mind and goes, oh. And, and they've said that that is the, the sort of um, catalyst for this book, which uh, is true. It's 100% true. So like I said, I, I've said it once. I think this is a book that warrants me saying it again. I'm about to talk some spoilers on this book because I just, I, I can't even wait any longer. First off, the, um, the cover, the cover is, is, uh, it's beautiful. It's a kaleidoscope and you know, it's crazy. I'm looking at it again and I feel like I wasn't even paying attention the first time I was looking at it. Uh, everything in this cover is referenced in this book and it's just a bunch of different Moiras. And then on one end of the spectrum is Magneto. On the bottom is Xavier, along with uh, Mystique and Destiny, who, holy crap, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Calm down. Woo! 
All right. So this entire book is about the life of Moira McTaggart. You might know her as the um, sort of love interest with Charles Xavier. I know they had a kid and um, she's kind of been in and out with the X-Men. She was the one who lived on, I believe it was Muir Island. Um, I want to tell you this first as well. I'm a huge X-Men fan. I love the X-Men. I loved the animated series. I watched it when I was a kid. I really loved X-Men Evolution. Uh, I've got all the X-Men movies. I've watched them dozens of times. There's great ones. There's bad ones. There's good ones. Um, But I haven't read a lot of the really old X-Men. So I've read a little bit of the original stuff that Stan Lee did and some bits and pieces here and there as it goes. But then when you got into like the 80s and 90s with Age of Apocalypse and all of that, I've essentially read the Cliff Notes versions of that. I've read, um, you know, excerpts and seen comic book panels regarding it, but I haven't actually fully read it. And that's just because, again, there's there's so much comic content, you kind of got to pick your battles. But I've been keeping up with the X-Men for a good 10 years now in terms of their recent stuff. Moira's kind of been in and out of it. She hasn't been that big of a character. So um, I don't know how much of this is actually accurate, and I don't know how much of me actually cares. This is this is just perfect. So um, it goes through her life, and it's just it's insane. So you've got literally page one is, is explaining Moira's life. And at the end of the page, literally on the fourth panel, it says, Moira eventually died at the age of 74 when she passed peacefully in her sleep. It was a good life, a human life, predictable, mostly pleasant, and not extraordinary at all. Next panel, Moira's second life began in utero. What? Excuse, what? What is? What are you trying to say? And like I said, my uh, my good buddies, uh, Paul Herman and Robert Klauser, we were talking about Powers of X uh, on the uh, Marvel Studios News Discord uh, the other day, and uh, we had talked about there. I had saw some article where they were saying De- Destiny essentially gave her powers or did something with Moira to make her a mutant and have her powers. And her powers are of like thinking of the future and um, knowing the future. And so we had said after Powers of X that maybe that's who this is. This is Destiny reaching back into the past to speak to Xavier to tell them what's happening in the future. Because if you remember in Powers of X1 or Powers of 10, uh, it goes through the the 10 years, the 100 years, the 1,000 years. And it was like, what if Moira kind of told Xavier, you know, this is what happens and you need to, you need to get ready. And uh, that isn't exactly what happened, but it's pretty damn close. So essentially, as, the, as it keeps going, and, and again, you go, oh, wow, that's a really interesting sci-fi concept. Yeah, you'd think so, right? Somebody dies and then they come back. That's pretty cool. What if they do that three times? What if they do that four times? What if, what if they do that 10 times? Because that's what happens in this book. They go through 10 different lives that Moira McTaggart has and Every single life that she has, when she is reborn, she has full knowledge of everything that came in her past lives. That's a concept that I have thought about for a long time in terms of story ideas and um, just, you know, highbrow concepts. I'm so happy that Hickman has done this. And so what's fascinating about a concept like that is when you know you can't die or that you you are you die but that you come back with all that knowledge it gives you and someone like Moira being as scientifically inclined as she is it gives you this this energy to search for answers to go okay why is this happening to me and how can i fix it and so each of her lives she does something different in in, her, in one of her lives she um, she finds Xavier 
and uh, well, I guess in one of her lives, in her third life, she realizes that this kind of sucks, that she can't change it, that she's changing things, but can't really change them, that this is tough, much like people would probably realize on the third time of them being reincarnated. And so she finds a cure for mutants. And what happens? Destiny shows up with Mystique and Pyro and says, and again, it's Hickman has done the most amazing job of blurring the lines between good and evil to the point where you can probably just argue that they're just words at this point. Good, evil, it doesn't matter. When you're on your 10th incarnation of your life, does it really matter if what you're doing is good or evil? If you know that everything that you've done in the past was either good or evil and didn't work, at this point, it's not good or evil. It's just another attempt. It's just another way of testing a hypothesis. And so what happens is destiny comes. And I was like, oh my God, it's destiny. Like just who we were talking about, completely different person. But she essentially explains to her that that Moira obviously is a mutant and her power is reincarnation. So whenever she dies, she gets reincarnated with all her stuff, but advises her, says, you, if you die before you become a mutant, you're not going to get reborn. So you need to be, be careful with what you're doing because I'll know because I can see the future. And um, essentially tells her that uh, she should not be doing this, that she shouldn't be trying to cure this disease, that she should be trying to help the mutants, that she should be, which is insane because it's like, okay, well, but you're the bad guy. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of, she knows the future. She knows what's going to happen. So at this point, she gets kind of mad and uh, Destiny goes, well, I'm going to kill you now so you can figure that, figure this out and try something different next time. <laughs> and literally Pyro just lights her on fire and kills her. And so then her next life, and so it says Moira's four, fourth life began with urgency. Like, uh, hell yeah, it began with urgency. And again, we're talking spoilers here, but I certainly am not going to spoil the writing on this or the art because it's phenomenal. And the way that Hickman just writes these things is just so good. I, the minute I finished, I wanted to read it again. There's callbacks to what they're calling the gifted years, the time of hate and fear, the lost decade, which is when the Phoenix force inhabited, um, Colossus magic, uh, Cyclops, Namor, and I think was it Rachel Gray or well, it was uh, Emma Frost during a, a Avengers versus X Men, and then she she lives through that, and then and then she realizes on her next life, her fifth life, that aggression is the answer, and so she meets with Xavier early before they were even supposed to meet, and um, basically. Uh, tries to get them to the mutants to you know be accepted and sentinels kill them kill her it skips her sixth life which i don't know if that obviously that's a deliberate by hickman i don't know where that's going with that though so what you know what happened in her sixth life but it says in her seventh life she um she basically killed all of the trasks bolivar trask donald trask gwyneth trask simon trask and in the hopes that the sentinels would never get created right? It's testing a theory. It's it's just figuring something out. And she realizes that it doesn't matter who you kill, they're st- it's still going to happen. So then at that point, she, in her eighth life, goes to Magneto and says, hey, I've done like, I've done what I can. I've done this eight times. Nothing seems to work. We, this is what happens in those lives. And Magneto's like, you've got to be kidding me. And like rains fire on the world. And then they get killed because obviously, you know, the Avengers and the other X-Men try to stop them. 
And then, oh my, we're, ah, 10 lives, 10 lives, and we're only on, that was what, was that 8? Yeah, that's 8, we still got 2 more lives. In um, her ninth life, she uh, she joins with Apocalypse. She realizes, it says, And with that, she feared was little time left, little lives left. Moira, Moira embraced the idea of evolutionary dominance, survival of the fittest. Some thought him a monster, some called him evil, but to Moira, Apocalypse was simply the only solution she had not tried. Like, Oh my god, that is insane. And then again, I'm not, I don't want to spoil this, but you get to see her fighting with Apocalypse and just raining hell. But um and then and then oh my god, this is one of another amazing part in this because when I read it and hopefully when you read it, it's going to remind you of uh, I believe it was in Civil War when Iron Man says and then and then and then I couldn't stop, but then I realized I didn't want to stop. And uh, there's some panels that just say, and then, and then, and then, and uh, and in Moira's 10th life, she decided she and Charles Xavier would break all of the rules. And it's like, oh my god, oh my god, what are we getting to? What are we getting to? Bring it on, come on! And it ends. It ends with the same thing it shows in Powers of X, of her showing him everything. So... That's what she showed him, was all nine of her prior lives and how she tried this method, she tried this method, this didn't work, this didn't work, uh, this didn't work. And so you kind of start getting the idea that um, everything that's happening in House of X from the first issue is all meant to be, that that is an Xavier that he maybe he's a good guy, maybe he's a bad guy, but at the end of the day, he's just a man that has knowledge of what's coming and has knowledge of what what has come so he's trying something completely different which is probably why he's not the xavier we all remember or all know and oh man it just ends with a classic hickman page of it just says i am here i have always been here moira x so wow i've got chills just talking about it and the chills don't stop ladies and gentlemen because when you turn that page If you know anything about Jonathan Hickman, you know that he loves his charts, you know that he loves his stories, and in this book is no different. There are a bunch of great pages that have literal essays about Moira, but at the very end, at the very end, there is, oh my god, I'm not going to tell you anything that's on this, because you need to check this out for yourself, but it is a timeline of every single one of her lives, all lined up. And, okay, that's pretty cool. That's actually not pretty cool. It's amazingly cool. But why? Because who does that? Who makes a timeline on two full pages of a comic book? Well, you know, some some, some creative types do. Now, do some creative types make a timeline that goes one, two, three, four, five, six pages? Is it a six-page timeline? Because that's what, hey, that's what Hickman's doing. Uh, what are you guys all doing, huh? What are you guys doing with? Like I said, by the time you're done reading this book, you're probably going to be trying to figure out what you need to do with your life, and um, whether to make that life special or not. And I think this book is going to help with that. It's going to give you a perspective that you have never, uh, never even thought of before. Hickman is unstoppable with this X Men series. Again, this series is this issue is almost strictly about Moira. Yet I have never felt more connected with the X-Men and the entire series as a whole 
than I have after reading this. I can't wait to read this again and again and again and to buy the entire collected graphic novel when it comes out. Next, they wonder what, you know, I've gotten from point A to point B and here I am. What am I going to do with myself? Here's your answer. Here's your answer. This book. It is I can't speak highly enough of it. And again, there are a lot of implications and pieces in this book that I have not spoken on. Those were just my initial thoughts and reactions and freakouts in this book because <clears throat> nothing makes me happier than when my expectations are subverted and when characters I know and love are subverted in a way that makes complete sense. Because at the end of the day, if you've died 10 times, trying to help mutants, trying to fix the world, you're going to start trying some pretty crazy things. And I think he even touches on that in the story. Says something like, every, you know, every time after she was born, it says something like, and that radicalized her. And it's it's powerful to see that because, again, how can you blame her when she's dying these really sometimes horrible deaths with characters that you would have never thought that she would have teamed up with, all for what I'm assuming is the greater good of mutant kind. Um, it just, it blows this whole thing wide open and it's officially now made Moira McTaggart one of my favorite characters in all of X-Men, all of, all of X-Men. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not, I don't think that's too premature at all. Just get this book and find out why, because you will not be disappointed. So those are the comics that came out today. I think I thought that Guardians of the Galaxy 8 was coming out today and it very well might have because my sheet here is going to tell me that, oh, nope, that's my bad. It comes out in a couple weeks. That's so weird that I thought it did. But um, those are the hot comics of today on New Comic Book Day Wednesday. Uh, please let me know your thoughts. Please let me know if you liked these books. And I look forward to speaking with you guys next week when uh, the next set of comics comes out. Um, just so you're all aware for any big stuff, uh, for me next week, I'll be reviewing powers of X number two powers of 10 number two, uh, which again, at this point, the roller coaster has already dropped. The, the train has left the station. The plane is flying high at this point. I just don't. Oh, and by the way, if you're interested in planes, there's a really great scene with Moira in a plane that, uh, Oh, that's all I'm going to say. And then also Silver Surfer Black number three, which I'm really looking forward to. So until then, I'm Alex Klein, your host of Comics and Cinema. And thank you so much for listening. I will talk with you guys soon. Thank you.